Let's take our, re- our reading now, our scripture reading in Isaiah chapter 45. The prophet Isaiah uh, was writing some hundreds of years before uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, but his prophecy uh, in many ways has uh, a wonderful wonderful note of uh, challenge to the nations and hope for Israel and even hope for the nations in the good news of the gospel, the good news of salvation that would come um, but uh, he's not afraid to address the nations, the surrounding nations and their false witness uh, before he unveils and tells of the good news that is found in, in, in Christ alone and in God, the God of Israel alone. We're going to read from Isaiah 45 and taking it from verse 12. That reminds us just uh, of the creator God, but then the God able to address the kings even kings that don't know him. It is, high, it is I who made the earth, says God. This is his infallible word. It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hand stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord says. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and those tall Sabaeans, they will come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you, coming over to you in chains. They will bow down to you, down before you, and plead with you, saying, Surely God is with you, and there is no other. There is no other God. Truly, you are a God who has been hiding himself, the God and Savior of Israel. All the idols, all the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgrace. They will go off into disgrace together. But Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgrace to ages everlasting. For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what it is, what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long, who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. 
Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, maybe on holiday you've been traveling somewhere and uh, you have been on a flight. And of course, if you've been on a flight, you will have the familiar security announcement. Uh, Sometimes, uh, perhaps also you've been in some big gatherings uh, where there's also a security announcement. Sometimes those uh, announcements are considered uh, boring. Why do we need the security announcement? But of course, it's for people's good, isn't it? It's uh, safety. And sometimes the stewardesses have to say, even though, uh, or the cabin crew, uh, maybe they say, even though you may be even a frequent flyer, please pay attention because this plane may be a little different from other planes you've been on. And so you follow and you listen and you watch because it is indeed um, for our own good. And uh, even though we don't find those things, sometimes we find them uh, a bit boring. Nevertheless, uh, it would be much worse if they just uh, either didn't say anything or if they, uh, if they said, well, sorry to tell you, but uh, if something goes wrong here, there's no way of escape. Can't do anything, you know. And of course, sometimes you think that when you're up 32,000 feet, if anything happens here, that we're gone. But uh, people do escape out of planes, don't they? Uh, there was a case recently where a lot of people, I think everyone, everyone escaped, uh, surprisingly from a from a crash. So that was uh, it's good to know how to get out. Uh, it wouldn't be good to be told that there's no way of escape. Um, that would be very serious. It would also not be good to be told, just go anywhere, you know, any door will do. You see? Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what door you try, but you might go through the wrong door and find yourself against a locked door, and then that would be the wrong, no exit, no way out there. You would have taken the wrong path. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's good to have direction. It's good to have the correct information. And that's true in general for our safety and our well-being. But how much more it is true for our spiritual health and well-being and being saved from an eternal destruction and judgment uh, uh, which the Bible does warn us about. Now that message of Danger and of, of of eternal danger. It's not a, it's not a popular message. It's not an easy message to to convey to people. It's an unpleasant uh, thing to draw people's attention to possible disaster that they could be heading for. But if we don't speak, then uh, are we really caring for our neighbours? Are we really caring for people around us? Um, or, and are we faithful to the word of God? Because God himself speaks. He speaks to the nations. I love the, the, I mentioned earlier that the prophet Isaiah, as well as other prophets, are not afraid to speak to other nations 
round about them. Uh, even in this chapter that we just read, God is speaking to a man, a king called Cyrus. And he is not a Jew at all. He's, he didn't even know the God of Israel, but God raised him up and God had a purpose for him to fulfill um, to, to, because he decided to relax and let people go back in his empire, let people go back and even help people to go back to their homelands where they'd been brought uh, and tried an effort the previous kings had tried to assimilate and bring everybody together and, uh, and brought the, the, a lot of the Israelites into what they called exile out of their own land. But Cyrus was raised up to send them back. And this was good news for the Israelites. And, uh, but even that Cyrus, as God speaks to him, um, he, 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 uh, he didn't know God. He didn't know the truth about God. But God began to reveal himself. And God has a desire to reveal himself to all nations. And he speaks to all nations. And I want to just point out what God says in a very simple way. Uh, particularly focused on verse 22 of this uh, Isaiah 45. That was our chapter we read a moment ago. Isaiah 45 and verse 22. And uh, in the version we read in the, in the NIV, I'll read from the NIV, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Or the New King James and the King James also says, Look to me, look to me and be saved. Turn and look. It's not very far apart. Um, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. There is no other God. So this is God speaking. What is God saying? And this is like a wake-up call because uh, if, we thought, if you thought maybe you could take a nap now, I'm saying waking up and listen to what God is saying. Four things. An assertion. An assertion, what? That he is the one and only true God. I am God and there's no other. He's the one and only true God. An assertion, a bold assertion. And then there's an assurance. I am God. What kind of God? A sovereign God over the nations. I am an assurance, and this comes with assurance to the people of Israel and to us, the assur an assurance of his sovereignty, his rulership, his kingship over all nations. Thirdly, an appeal. There's an appeal here. Look to me. Turn to me. An appeal to all nations to look to turn, to repent, to return to God. And fourthly, there's an appointment. It's not quite in the text, but it's in the context. There's an appointment to all of us to be witnesses, to repeat what God has said, and to tell the nations to be witnesses among the nations and among our neighbors and friends about what God has said and claims and the way, this way of salvation. There's an appointment, an appointment of, of witnesses as servants of God. So let's think about these one by one. An assertion, this bold assertion, I am God and there is no other. And in the same chapter, uh, back at verse 20, it talks about 
Uh, Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. They pray to idols of wood, things they have made, carvings. Sometimes metal, sometimes wood, but created by a human being. Now, the psalmist or the, the, the prophet has taken even a whole chapter to deal with idolatry. And basically, his point is this how can the thing that is created worship the thing that has made him? Uh, I mean, be worshipped instead of the one who, who made it. Surely the one who made the thing is greater. And uh, uh, but yet people make things and then set them up for worship. Uh, false worship. False gods. Gods of this, of material. It's worshiping, worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. Of course you would say the, the human being. The human beings even set themselves up for worship, don't they? The the, the uh, there's a program, what is it they call it, American Idol, or uh, these various uh, uh, programs to, to find the greatest singer, the greatest musician, or whatever, talent. And then these people become lifted up as idols, uh, or sports idols. They're almost, people almost worship the ground they walk, they walk on. Uh, and they, they will almost kill one another to, to get a signature of their idol. Um, but this is a mistake because these are also creatures. We should worship only the Creator, the one who made us. And that is the, that is the claim of the Bible and the claim of the, the, the whole, this passage, that there's no other God, there's only one, the one who made us, the Creator. He is God. And this, this is not just a matter of opinion. Some people say today, uh, well, you know, is that not, is that not a bit... Uh, opinionated uh, for you to claim that your God is the, is the only true God and all the other gods and all the religions are false and they're wrong. Well, we, according to what God himself and the scriptures say, it's not too much of a claim. Uh, it's not too much just of an opinion. It's a big assertion, yes. It's a big claim. But um, to us, this is not just a matter of opinion. For example... I could say to you, uh, my mother's cooking is the best. And you would say, oh, but my mother's cooking is the best. Or my wife makes the best birthday cakes. You say, ah, oh, but my wife makes the best birthday cakes. Now, we would have difference of opinion, and there's no harm in that. But this is not opinion. This is more like the, the warning that uh, is on the cigarette packets that says, smoking kills. That's it. That's a health and safety announcement. It's a fact. Smoking kills lives. You see? Uh, And this is uh, the kind of claim we're talking about here. It's an exclusive assertion that God is the only way and no other way will work. There's no other salvation. There's no other way. All authority, said Jesus, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Why? Because there's one God. There's only one way of salvation. So that's the assertion. He's the one and only true God. Then there's the assurance that comes with that. The assurance of his sovereignty over the nations. The whole 
uh, of Isaiah's prophecy uh, echoes with referring to God as king and God on the throne. You remember Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was called to be a prophet. It says that in the year that King Uzziah died, so the king of Israel had died, and uh, that is always the shaking, if you like, of the, the human kingdom. Uh, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Where did he see the Lord? High and exalted, seated on a throne. And that sense of, of God on the throne of the universe never left Isaiah. He's always lifting up uh, and saying, saying the good news to the cities of Zion, to announce to the cities of Zion, he says in earlier chapters here, um, your God reigns. Your God is sovereign. Your God is king. Assurance of God's sovereignty over the nations. And just as God was able to lift up in his sovereign power, to lift up Cyrus to help rescue his people and release them from captivity in exile uh, and send them back to their own land, so also he was going to raise up one greater than Cyrus, and that was the Lord Jesus, to deliver you and me, to deliver people from all nations, from destruction, from captivity to sin, and from wrong thinking and wrong ways to find life and, eterni- and eternal salvation and freedom uh, in Christ uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater servant, the greater king who was coming, greater than Cyrus, greater than any king. The kings of Israel, uh, many cases, disappointed the people and disappointed God himself. But a greater king was coming, a greater servant who would be faithful in God's house. Uh, This was because of God's sovereignty and assurance of God's sovereignty over the nations. But then there's the appeal to look, and an appeal to all nations to look to him, to turn and look. Uh, Look to me, or turn to me, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else, there is no other. There's no excuse here. It's very clear. It's very simple. Some of you uh, might have heard the story of the conversion of a famous preacher. Uh, There was a famous preacher in the 19th century. People still read uh, him because he still communicates. His name was Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon. And uh, Spurgeon was a great preacher in London in the 19th century. But he was converted. He was brought to faith in his teenage years. He was just a young teenager. In fact, he even became a pastor, a minister, at the age of 16. Very unusual. He was a gifted man in many ways. But first of all, God had to bring him to salvation. He tells this story how one Sunday morning uh, he was on his way to church and a snowstorm came on, a very severe snowstorm. And he couldn't walk any further, but he noticed just as, as he turned a corner, he noticed a little church. It wasn't the one he was intending to go to, but he couldn't reach that other church. He went into this little Methodist church, and um, he found just a few people. Just a few people were there. And the preacher didn't make it, maybe caught in the snowstorm also. 
So one of the uh, leaders uh, or uh, elders in the church stepped forward. Um, Spurgeon said he wasn't an educated man. He didn't speak in sophisticated language. But God used him. He had this text, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And he started to preach on this. And he said, look, it says, look, the appeal of Scripture is, and the appeal of God is, look. And he says, that's not a very difficult thing to do. You might be old and hardly able to walk. You might be very young, but you can all look. If you have eyes, you can look. And uh, so you don't need a lot of education. You don't need a lot of money. You can look, look to the God of who is speaking, the God who is uh, revealing himself to you. Look to him. And uh, he began to preach. He said, look to Jesus. Look, Jesus is saying to you, look to me. Look to me as I come into the world. Look to me as I die, hands stretched out on the cross. Look to me as I am buried. Look to me as I rise again on the third day from the grave. Look to me as the Savior. I alone, I am the way, the truth and the life. Look to me. And uh, so after he had said that, the man began to run out of things to say. He hadn't prepared a sermon really. but So he said, look, look, that's the simple instruction, the simple appeal. Then he began to look around the congregation and he, he spotted Spurgeon, young Charles Spurgeon. And uh, he said, young man, he said, you're looking very miserable this morning. Let me warn you that if you don't look to Jesus, you will continue to be miserable. Spurgeon wasn't used to being addressed directly from the pulpit, uh, but he listened nevertheless. And he said, I urge you, young man, today look to him. Don't put it off. Don't make excuse. Look to Jesus and you'll be saved. And do you know that Spurgeon did that? From that simple, simple message, he said, I went out from that place. Uh, the darkness had rolled away, and I saw the sun. I saw the Lord Jesus. And in that moment, I appreciated his salvation, and I was on my way rejoicing. I have a friend. Uh, I brought, actually, his little autobiography and, and story and testimony. It's not a long book. Adrian Adger's his name. Some of you might have seen this. Facing cancer, standing tall. Um, Adrian right now is facing a, a difficult journey with cancer. And uh, he, he, he doesn't know how long he will have, but he's using the opportunities that he has to share how God worked in his life. One night, um, I have one copy if you ask me for it afterwards, you could get it. Um, but it's available in the bookshops. It's available online. Um, but Adrian tells he was on his way to Portrush. He had no thought of God. He, he was on his way to a nightclub in uh, Portrush. He was going to have a good time drinking and dancing and, 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 and uh, doing all those things and uh, on his way away from God. But as he drove along the road, it was getting dark, and suddenly uh, he saw in front of him a tractor, whether it didn't have lights or just pulled out from the ro- a side road. Suddenly, he was aware of a tractor in his path and he was heading for it. The only thing he could do was swerve into the other side of the road to miss the tractor. As he swerved into the other side of the road, 
he saw a lorry coming towards him, a big truck, and the lorry was bearing down on him, quickly swerved back again, narrowly missed, narrowly missed certain death, either from hitting the tractor or hitting the truck head on, and he was shaking. And actually, a few days later, he ended up in hospital. It turned out to be a kind of panic attack. He thought it was a heart attack, but it was a panic attack. And he was very shaken up, and he was driving home. He was released from hospital. Okay, you can go home. As he went home from the hospital, he, he knew that God was speaking to him and that if he had, if he had hit that truck, a truck had hit him, it was the end. And where was he going? He wasn't on his way to heaven. He was on his way to the other place, hell. And so he was really disturbed and uh, tears began to flow and he, he cried out to God in the words of a little children's song, uh, come into my life, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. And the Lord did come into his life. He was saved. He was, uh, went on his way, eventually uh, involved in Christian work, Belfast City Mission. He came out to Mission Africa, Nigeria, for some time. He's now a Presbyterian minister. And God is using him. Uh, but he had, first of all, to look. He had to, first of all, trust the Savior. So there's an appeal here. And then with that, there's an appointment. There's an appointment because when you have the good news, when you have the good news and when you have this salvation, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. The appointment is uh, to be a servant of God, to make God known. You know, after a prime minister Recently, we've got a new prime minister in the, in the UK. Whenever the prime minister is announced and he, he ends up uh, going into Downing, Downing Street, the next thing that people look out for are his appointments. Who will he appoint to such and such a ministry, such and such position in his government? So he, uh, he, he makes his appointments. He has the people working for him and with him in government. And so God also calls people to be his witnesses and to be his servants. And in the context here in Isaiah 43, it says, I am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and proclaimed, I not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses. See how the two go together. You are my witnesses. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. We have to be prepared to take that responsibility. Recently at the Bangor Worldwide Convention, Dr. Carson was speaking and he said that uh, a silent Christian is a contradiction. How can we keep quiet? How can we keep quiet when God is uh, speaking and speaking to the nations and expects us to be, play our part as his witnesses? In the old translation, uh, this is Jehovah's Witnesses. That's why there's a certain denomination or sect bringing false teaching, sadly. They call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. But the Lord Jesus uh, said when he was leaving his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. That's the appointment that you and I have been given, an appointment to be witnesses 
to tell others about Jesus. Let's not be afraid. Let's not be shy. Let's not be silent. Tell people what they need to hear. Tell people. Speak up. Because God is speaking. God is speaking to the nations. So please, if you're here this morning, don't miss out on this important message. Hear the assertion that he is the one and only true God, the assurance of his sovereignty over the nations, and appeal to all, including you and me, to look to him for salvation and then the appointment of his, uh, as his people to be witnesses for him. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no else, none else.